0: Their studio in the Feeding Arizona building in Youngtown, Arizona. It's the Boomer and the Babe Show with Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Join Pete and Deborah and their guests as they give voice to 78 million baby boomers from coast to coast and border to border. Now, here are the Boomer and the Babe, Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. And good morning. It is the Boomer and the Babe Show, and it is morning where we are. We're in Sun City, Arizona, the Phoenix area. And it is Wednesday, November 14th, 2012. And we are broadcasting from our studios in Sun City. We're not in Youngtown young town any longer, but that's that's okay. We still have a studio, so we're in good shape. I want everybody to uh, take a look at some of the other things we do, and you can find those at boomerandthebabe.com. Many other things that the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated is involved in, uh, one of which would be our online magazine, Boomer Experience Speaks. And if you would be so kind as go to our website, boomerthebabe.com, sign up for our mailing list, and you will be able to receive that in your inbox every four to six weeks we have a new issue coming out. And many of the articles in there have been written by people that have been on our show, and you may find those of some interest, especially if you're of the Boomer uh, Boomer age, uh, approaching Boomer age, or if you have parents That are baby boomers, so uh, something, a little bit of something for everybody. Uh, That having been said, I'm Pete Peters. This is the Boomer the Babe Show, Deborah Brown, the babe, as she is sometimes known, is not with me today. Uh, she's actually taken on uh, quite a chore with our publishing side of our business as it's growing, so she's doing less and less radio. But sooner or later, someday, she'll be back on the radio again, and whoever happens to be the guests and the listeners that day will have a bonus time because they'll have uh, Deborah, to, Deborah to listen to as well. And we want to get to our guest now. Her name is Colleen Kenny, she is a registered nurse, uh, she is a nurse practitioner. Uh, with elder care specialists, and uh, with suitable topic for baby boomers and the Boomer the Babe show, Colleen, welcome to the Boomer the Babe show. We're glad you're here today. Thank you. Well, what we like to start out with is we like to find out more about our guests. And uh, if Deborah were here today, she would ask you for your two-minute movie, which is kind of a little. Uh, uh, background as far as uh, what you've been doing and uh, how you started into the profession you're in now, and tell us anything you care to tell us about your history. And um, you can get as personal as you like, or you don't have to get personal at all. Whichever whichever way you'd like to take it. So please uh, tell us about uh, tell us about Colleen Kinney.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah, I um, I actually went to the University of Virginia for my undergraduate degree in nursing. And I was not going to do geriatrics. I thought I was going to take care of children for the rest of my life. And that population literally grabbed me through the the metal handrails of a bed. I still remember the patient who grabbed onto my hand and we locked eyes, and and that was all she wrote. I've been doing geriatrics now for 22 years. Um, I got my master's degree from the Virginia Commonwealth University in 1996, and now I manage um, about 150 patients in five different nursing homes in Richmond, Virginia. And I absolutely adore it. Can't imagine doing anything else. And now my goal is to educate um, both the providers and the caregivers how we can best take care of this emerging population?
0: And it is definitely an emerging population, isn't it? The, every <laughs> it every is. day, every day, there's more of them that emerge.
1: Um,
0: <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, it's interesting when you stop to think of the the baby boom bubble, as it's, as it's called, or the uh, the the basketball going through a Python type of a uh, <laughs> situation that they've pig in a python if you will. Uh it just keeps moving along and it just touches everything that we as baby boomers, and I don't know if you're a baby boomer, but I certainly am. Uh we as baby boomers have affected everything that we've done or uh, every place we've been throughout our our history, our careers and our lives. And uh it has uh also had a great, huge effect on the healthcare industry. Uh taxing it and we'll continue to tax it for many years yet to come. Uh so what uh, what do you see as as the as the general future of uh what you do?
1: The main thing that I see is that we are going to need more geriatric loving and geriatric expert providers in the field. Um the way I describe it when I speak at the School of Nursing, this is a an emerging group of people, like we said, that we have not seen in our history before. So the fastest-growing age group in the United States is over the age of 85, mm-hmm. and that is a specialty area in medicine. We can't treat these folks um, 70 and above like we treat people who are 40 or 30 or 20, And I liken it to many years ago when they started saving preemies in some of the bigger universities and and developing ways that they could manage these, you know, precious underweight little tiny creatures um, and and bring them to the point where they could go home with their parents. That is a very specialized area of medicine. And it took time to develop the research, what's going to work best, and then to disseminate the research throughout the US and the world. So that's what I think is going on in geriatrics and and we need more people out there who know what they're doing to provide that care.
0: When you say more people, do you, do you mean more people in the field and as as involved in the field and as educated as you are or do you mean more uh non uh, non-medical caregivers? Uh, do you mean all of the above? Uh, more facilities? Well, I know it's it's more. It's probably more of everything. But I'd be interested in knowing what you think. Right. I think it's
1: C. All of the above. The um, we do not have enough qualified uh, medical providers. Whether that's the nurse practitioners, the physician assistants, the MDS, the nurses at the bedside, and whatever site they are. What so they need to be educated. They we also need to educate the boomer population especially that's that's raising this generation, so to speak, like they've raised their kids and now they're raising their, their parents a lot of times, so that when they go to the, the doctor's office with mom or dad or the aunt or uncle or, or spouse even, and, and they can say, you know, hey, is that the right dose of that medication? Um, and I, I think the internet has helped a lot with that, although sometimes that can get us more tangled up than we need to be. But... It's, it's crucial. And, and to make those providers stop and think and say, hey, well, let me look that up. Um, you know, it, it's, it's important, I think, that we all know what's going on.
0: Well, yes, I think that is important because, you know, the, the, the provider is going to say, well, the blood test shows this and the symptoms show this and this is the medication is for this, these results on tests and symptoms, so just take that and uh and they write the print, they write the script and you go to the you go to the pharmacy and get it filled and uh it it may or may not really be what is uh is accurate and what is uh going to be helping you isn't it isn't that the case
1: that that is very much the case and i tell people that at this point in my career i wouldn't know what to do with a 40 year old because geriatrics those folks who are especially 70 and above they present so differently with their symptoms with what's going on um physically emotionally spiritually um their their symptoms everything is so different than than a younger adult that it, sometimes teasing out exactly what's going on can be a a challenge the other piece of that too though Most of the time when you go to a physician now, they have seven to ten minutes to see you. And I I highly recommend my profession because usually the nurse practitioners will have more time. Um, But when you've got somebody with an 80-year health history, you know, and and their shoulder hurts from one problem and and a foot hurts from another problem, plus they've got a lung problem and a heart problem and, you know, maybe a little early dementia, you, you just can't do it all in that amount of time.
0: Well, that's very, very true, and I and I think maybe that is a, on on some level. Uh, I'm I'm just guessing here. This is just just came to mind as we were speaking. Uh, did, do you think that that might be the reason for the vast growth of of uh, of the specialists uh, in medicine?
1: Absolutely, and and also primary care in general does not pay physicians as well as a specialty area. And I know it's been on the news a lot about, you know, student loan debt and stuff, but if if you've gone through eight years, you know, four years undergrad and another four years of of medical school and you come out with a mountain of debt, it's really hard to, you know, maybe settle in an area that is going to pay you $40,000 a year when you're, you know, a brand new physician. So salaries, you know, for the specialties, are, are significantly higher.
0: Well, and and the uh, and the copays are for the patient is higher as well. Yes,
1: that's I mean, true. That's true. You know,
0: I mean, I, I may have a twenty dollar copay, uh, except for when I go to my specialist, it might be a forty or a forty five dollar copay. Right. And uh, and you still don't get. And I and I would venture to say you still don't get, as a rule. You don't get much more time with your specialist than, as far as time spent talking, as you even as you do with your uh, uh, your GP.
1: Right, and and that's why I, I I do I tout my profession. It's actually National Nurse Practitioner Week, which is very exciting. But usually, when nurse practitioners are in, whether it's a specialist um, specialist office or in a primary care office. Usually, they've negotiated to have more like ten to fifteen minutes instead of the seven to ten minutes um, with the clients, and that makes a big difference. So, if somebody is is just being followed for, you know, stable issues, um, and and there's always a physician available to that nurse practitioner, I I think it's just a fabulous choice.
0: Yeah, it seems it seems to be something that the person can get some quality care and some quality attention. Uh, right. And uh, and and be assured relatively assured that it's going to be directed to, toward them without the person thinking about their next patient or their previous patient.
1: Right. And I'm I'm not doctor bashing. I mean we we need both oh,
0: of us I understand. Yeah.
1: Um but when it comes to to folks who are aged a lot of what's going on is is you're trying to maintain the chronic conditions, keep them as stable as possible. And that's where a nurse practitioner really can make a, a big difference. What
0: what do you recommend for a family who has a, an elderly person uh, that just won't go to the doctor? Uh, they, they say, no, they can't do anything for me. They've never done anything for me uh this the, the, sometimes they'll say uh they don't know how to take care of old people, and there's nothing they can do for me, so I'm just not gonna go uh what kind of recommendations can you make to try to convince them to go to the uh, go to the physician go to the go to the medical specialist
1: you know if if they're intact enough to make decisions um i we have to respect it um and, and that's not always easy to hear, but if they're over 18 and they're cognitively intact to to, to make those decisions, even though we don't agree with them, mm-hmm. sometimes we just have to say, okay. And, you know, there have been times when we've seen patients who thought they were perfectly healthy and then did go to the doctor and found out they had 10 illnesses and now they're on 20 meds and they feel worse than
0: worse than they before, did before they, they, they knew did. what
1: was going on.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. but. Well, uh, if if a person has dementia, well, first of all, why don't we start here? What is okay. dementia? What is dementia?
1: Yeah, dementia. What I, the way I define it is brain failure. So the the brain is an organ. It's one we don't think about. Pardon the pun. Um, but we, you know, we have people who have heart failure or kidney failure or or lung failure, lung disease. So it's it's really a, it's a failure and a destruction of of the brain and And everything that the brain does for us,
0: so uh, dementia and uh how how do you determine whether the dementia is um is in effect or is memory or is it memory loss or is memory loss dementia uh
1: memory loss is not dementia um i and I know that people as they age, especially start to worry about that, you know where did I leave the car keys, things like that I think. In the society we live in, we're we are a stressed culture. Um, so just you know, if if you know that you lost the car keys and you can kind of piece together, okay, I was here in the house and then I was there and maybe carried in the groceries and can piece it back together. Oh, here's the car keys. Even if they are in the refrigerator with the milk, don't worry about it if it's a one-time thing. And usually, you know, it's it there. There's just a, There's a combination. There's multiple issues going on. Um, so what I want to talk about, too, is the, all, there, people ask me the difference, what's the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia. So right. Alzheimer's is a type of dementia. Um, there's multi-infarct dementia where people who have had multiple strokes. There's um, Lewy body dementia that we see often um, with certain diseases. There's Parkinson's dementia that goes along with Parkinson's disease. There's normal pressure hydrocephalus. There's a lot of different types
0: of dementia. So dementia Ringing, dementia is yeah. the um, umbrella.
1: Yes, exactly. And all these types are hanging off of it.
0: Mhm. So and when we, so when we say that my uh, that my uh father uh passed from the complications of Alzheimer's dementia, that is the proper way to say it.
1: Yes. Okay. Yes. Um when you suspect that somebody or yourself might be developing some dementia, you absolutely need to get a good medical workup. And that can start in your general practitioner's office. It doesn't, sometimes people refer themselves to a neurologist, which is probably at that point a little bit of overkill. But there are many things that can look like dementia that you need to make sure are not going on because they are sometimes very reversible. Um, one thing that comes to mind is hypothyroidism. So the thyroid controls um, the metabolism of the entire body, and people can look sluggish and have memory issues and um, just be draggled, and and you do a very simple blood test, and you can reverse that. So that and and B12 deficiencies, um, anemia, Um, just a lot of things that we can look at with simple head counts or blood counts, rather. And then a head CT can show there's something called normal pressure hydrocephalus, which causes speech and memory problems and also changes in how a person walks. And they can actually put a little shunt in to, to draw off the extra fluid. And with some rehab, people get turned around and I've seen them leave the nursing home. So you really have to make sure that you're not just saying, well, it's it's just dementia. Um and depression is huge. And um when we've got folks who are depressed, it's it's not like in a younger person the the necessarily the, the boo hoo I'm gonna eat a gallon of ice cream every night kind of depression. It's really a withdrawal. It's it's um so you might have somebody when, when the provider is asking, you know, what's the day, what who's the president? They may not answer because they just don't care. Um, and maybe they're not doing their hair and their makeup and, and, you know, putting on clean clothes like they used to. But you do a trial of four to six weeks of, of an antidepressant, and maybe this person turns around. So you have to be really careful before you just put that label on, as I've said.
0: Well, I've got a uh, 70, uh, 70, an 89-year-old mother that has, uh Lost her husband, my father, so I don't know, seven years ago now, I guess. Uh, he had had his uh, Alzheimer's um, for about ten years as he made his gradual slide, mm-hmm. I guess. Right. And, and then he he eventually passed. He passed in in hospice, and it was uh, a at some level there's there was a relief there, I think, and. Uh, because now it was a case where he's at his peace, and I think my mother felt that, and she I know she felt because she she's told us, well now, I can relax and do some of the things that I've not been able to do while I was taking care of your father, which was fine, and I don't th- I don't think she was particularly upset about the fact that she was taking care of him for for the, that length of time, especially the the, the last ninety days, but. um nonetheless she was looking forward to having some semblance of her life back and lo and behold 90 later she has a stroke and so now she can't drive because she's lost field of vision and it has been a very gradual slide since then and I know that she is depressed to some degree uh, just by what she says and and there's nothing she will allow us to do as far as take her to a physician. I've talked about let's go get the testing done. Let's talk to your doctor. I don't like my doctor. My doctor doesn't know how to treat old people. Uh, you know, And on and on and on. And I'm just going, well, I don't know what I can do. And, uh, so I can't drag her by the scruff of the neck, throw her in the car, and take her there. Right. <laughs> you know? So I, I feel as though I'm at um, – I'm at the end of the rope here. I don't. I don't know where to go. If you, would you have any suggestions for me in this particular case, or for anybody who might who might be facing that dilemma?
1: You now, the thing that comes to mind, and and, and just it, it would it would sort of be an ethical issue, though, would be to go to your own provider and explain this is what's going on with mom and. See if there's any way they would be willing to give you a prescription for a low dose antidepressant. But then again, getting her to take it, um, right. using the word depression in in that age group, especially, that's a very stoic. You know, they lived through de- the depression. It, um, it and and that word still has a lot of stigma to it. You know, now we understand very well that it's it's a physical you know, issue a lot of times of of the chemicals in the brain, and then you combine that with circumstances like what she's gone through. Um, so then getting her to take it would be the, the next step. So um, the other thought, and, and I don't know how debilitated she is, but sometimes you can get a, a home health nurse to come out and help assess. And, you know, if you can get a, an order for that, you have to have a physician's order for that, from maybe your primary care physician to have somebody sent out to the house that can do an assessment um, if she'll let them, you know, talk to her or whatever and then go back to the physician and say this is what's going on. So if it's it's difficult at all for her to, to leave the house, like you said, she can't drive, she couldn't get to a doctor's office without help, she would probably qualify for a home visit like that.
0: Oh, she uh, she can't drive, but she, I mean, she's she's ambulatory. I mean, she she can get up and walk around. She just got ticked off the other day and walked one one and three tenths miles, uh, <laughs> and refusing to get in the car with me, following her for two hours while she did. It. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, and it was a case of I she'd be walking and I'd pull up next to her and she'd say no. I, you know, I go back to that house. You're going to be doing the same thing you were doing before, which apparently I must have said something wrong, uh, that that kind of set her off. So now I'm, I'm driving along, and she's sitting in somebody's front yard, and she doesn't even know who who they are. And oh. I pulled and I pulled up, and I said, "Are you ready to get in the car now? You look like you're tired." No, I, and I had my sister on the phone, who was uh, in another part of the country, and I said, uh, "You want to talk to your daughter?" And she says you have her on the phone. I said I sure do. She says, "Well, she's just as bad as you are."
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it was comical to a to a point, but right. it, it it started to get a little serious when She's walking, walking, walking. Her and her walker just out for a trek. She comes to an intersection. She looks around. She doesn't know where she's going. Finally, she okay. realizes that she's heading towards some churches. I said, where are you going? She says, I'm going to church. I asked when she got religion, and she just stepped on walking. Uh, you know, And then when she crossed the street and almost got run over by a pickup truck, that's when all of a sudden it became real serious to her. Right. And I'm sitting in the church parking lot watching her and I see this truck coming, and I can't get out there quick enough, even in my car. And fortunately, the guy in the truck's are. Uh, And then at that point, she got back in the car and came came back to the house. But um, I, I just felt I had to let her walk it off, had to get it out of her system, because, I mean, there's nothing I was going to be able to do to corral that and corral right. her. Because otherwise, they, now we've got a scene in the middle of the street with me grabbing my mother off the street and <laughs> her turn the car. So uh, we'll have the sheriff's posse and everybody else out there. And and I'm not meaning to take up that much time but I don't, uh, in the conversation, but I'm just relating the story so that maybe listeners can understand that these are some things that we have to be ready to deal with. And maybe you could offer some suggestions on how anybody, anybody not me, but anybody might be able to deal with some of this
1: you know and you are not alone my mom is is almost 70 but she's still um very very capable and and everything and and lives alone in another city so i'm very blessed and and sometimes i i just wonder how you all do it that that are in that position um the the other thing as you were talking that came to mind they're called geriatric care managers and if you google geriatric geriatric care manager these are folks from all sorts of areas of healthcare and and of special interest to to this population a lot of them are are trained social workers um and and they're all over the country they've they've gone through a training course they're certified and you know you you pay a fee for them to come visit but they may be able to help both you and and your mom come up with some strategies to to help cope with some of this. That that would be a, a strong suggestion from me yeah, to
0: do that. That sounds like an excellent an excellent uh, suggestion. Uh, but it's it's the I'm getting to the point now that there are more and more behavioral issues uh, that we all ha that we all have to deal with as regards. Uh, her mood swings and forgetfulness, and she gets angry when she can't remember and uh, just just uh, you know just tamper tantrum type stuff yeah uh, uh how how do you how do you deal with it? Are your best just to let it run its course
1: sometimes yeah, as long as she's not hurting herself for right. someone else and and again, I mean you just described a situation where she did. Kind of put herself in danger um it's it's and and i hate to i i i don't like it when people say you know we we need to treat them like children because they're not but some of the behaviors are childlike and so what do you do with a a little one that's throwing a tantrum you know you can't reason with them and you know it sounds like maybe she's she's with with the stroke you can have um, cognitive issues that kind of like i said d- become a a type of dementia of their own and and they lose that reasoning ability and they lose the ability to um control their emotions and to control behaviors um it, it well, it's, it's a tough thing and and especially if you have a mom who won't go to the doctor because there there are some medications that can help to calm yes. those things down.
0: Yes, I'm aware of that because I know that my yeah. father, my father has right. some of those. Um, uh, there's issues. I mean, the the forgetfulness is is one thing, but the forgetfulness to the point of um, where did I put my hearing aid, or what room am I sleeping in tonight, or
1: right.
0: when are we going home? When she's lived in this house for 35 years. Uh, those, those are things that uh, we just try to gently say. Your room is back there, mother. Yeah, that's that's where all your clothes are, and your bed is back there. Oh, okay. And and, and she goes. You know, she she goes, and she gets herself ready to go to bed, and she goes to bed. uh right. But once you get her on the track, so to speak, um, she's good to go. But she is. But the behavioral thing is getting to be more of a, more of a problem especially when there's a group of people and she seems that she is she feels that she is being shunned even though we invite her to be with us sit with us enjoy the conversation if she chooses to participate to participate but she feels she she just doesn't have it up there anymore and i think that's what's frustrating her and and
1: that's a very fearful place to be you know, and and often fear comes out as anger and behavior issues. So she's she's, you know, probably aware enough to know this isn't right, this isn't okay. And and combined with the fact that she watched her husband go through that.
0: Yes, yes. You know, it well, it's just, she, she does know what she's going through. I mean it's, right. it's she has not gotten to her own little world yet. She has she does know what she's going through. And she does uh, I'm sure she's fearful of of what's going what's going to come of her uh, when she won't know. You know what I'm saying? It'll be right uh, control. Well, I don't want to make this a case study of my mother. We've done that enough. <laughs> uh, but I, I but I use it sometimes when I have uh, folks like yourself on the show, and, and because it gives others hopefully a, a a point to relate to or something to relate to that they may or may not be. Uh, experiencing themselves and I'm and I'm that's the only my only reason for doing it. Um, how how do you go? Let's just, let's assume that your your loved one can no longer take care of themselves. Uh they're in need of having some uh other type of care beyond the home uh and you're gonna be looking for uh a place for them. Uh, let's uh, get into that a little bit after we uh, do these commercials, and okay. uh, we'll be we'll be back in about uh, two and a half minutes. We'll be right back. Great. Boomer the Babe are the publishers of Boomer Series books. Our authors have their own shows on the Boomer the Babe Network. We encourage you to listen. Ron Naraki, author of the forthcoming book The Ten Commandments of Investing, is the host of Wealth DNA, a financial show about real estate investment. Learn how to build and manage your portfolio. Ron hosts the show, and he always has good information to pass along, as do his guests. Listen to Wealthy N.A. on the second and fourth Monday of the month at 8 a.m. Arizona time. Tom Ligering is another Boomer Series author. His book, Success or Failure, The Choice is Yours, is the basis of the show he does with his broadcast partner, Dr. Terry Munther. Listen to Success or Failure with Tom and Terry on the fourth Wednesday of every month at 9 a.m. Arizona time. Learn how you can maximize your performance in business and in life. The methods you employ can either help or hinder. The choice is yours. Before you book your next round of golf in Arizona, go see what golfers just like you are saying about the courses you want to play at golfmix.com. While you're there, write a review of the last course you played and get $10 off your next purchase at Vans Golf Shops. And enter into our Greenskeeper of the Year contest for a chance to win a foursome at the home of the Waste Management Phoenix Open, the stadium course at TPC Scottsdale. So check out Golfmix, Arizona's leading golf course review site and mobile app. What are you waiting for? Yeah, at golfmix.com. The Boomer and the Babe are proud to be affiliated with Valley View Community Food Bank, where the food is always free. Valley View is now serving Phoenix from their new 36,000-square-foot location at West Peoria and 107th Avenue in Sun City, Arizona. The new location houses the Food Bank, Feeding Arizona, and the Valley View Thrift Store. Feeding Arizona delivers food to other food banks and food pantries that are in need. If you're looking for a 501c3 to support, go to ValleyviewCommunityFoodBank.com. All donations are welcome, be it food, money, or volunteer hours. No donation is too small. Get a hold of Jesse Ramirez, founder and director, and say, I want to help. Valley View Community Food Bank, where the food is always free. And we are back. It is uh Wednesday, November fourteenth, twenty twelve, and we are talking with our guest today, Colleen Kenny. And Colleen is a nurse practitioner and elder care specialist. And uh we were going to ask her or we did ask her before we went to break to uh give us some information about finding a place for mom or dad or whomever. Uh what what do we look for, Colleen, when we're uh looking for a suitable place for uh, our loved ones to uh, to be taken care of when they've gone beyond what we can do for them.
1: Yeah, there are several options. And, and even before you reach that point, I want to talk a little bit about adult daycare, too. Sure. Um, these are cropping up all over the place, a very affordable option to necessarily having to put a loved one in a facility. And a lot of times, especially if you're still a working boomer, you can drop your loved one off at seven or eight in the morning. They usually provide breakfast and lunch. They sometimes have a nurse um on staff. They have a lot of activities all day long. Uh, you know and and then you pick them up at the end of the day at five or six or seven when you're done with your work day. They've been in a safe place socializing with um, you know, some expert eyes on them all day that can help them you know, with whatever needs, getting to the ladies' room, all all those sorts of things that, that happen in a day. And you don't have to worry about them, you know, being at home and leaving the stove on or something or wandering off while you're at work. So that's one option um, when, when, that, when you can't leave someone at home, but you still want to keep them at home at night and you can manage that piece. The next option is to have somebody come into your home and, and provide some of the hands-on care. Um, you know, certified nursing assistants and, and your local area on agency, agency on aging can help you locate some of those folks. Um, the only issue with that is if, you know, they're sick or something and you've really got to go to work, then you're in a bind or if they don't show up, things like that. When you hire folks to come into your home, it costs extra to have them come from an agency. But I will tell you, you're much safer than just hiring someone who's posted a sign in the you know, in the laundromat or the dry cleaners or wherever saying I provide elder care. When they go through an agency, they are there there's a replacement if they're sick for one thing, but they've had a criminal background check. And that to me, if I were gonna have somebody in my home, especially if I weren't going to be there and they were coming during the day, you know, to do care, that to me would be huge knowing knowing that that's been taken care of and their insurance is covered if if something happens um that's really important so then when it comes to choosing a facility if if you really have reached that point and and one of the things my mom keeps trying to get me to say I will never put her in a nursing home and I just keep telling her you know mom we'll deal with that when we get there because I I don't want to have to ever feel guilt that I may someday have to break a promise to her. So I, I would say don't do not do that to yourself. Don't make that promise because you don't know. Things,
0: don't, put, don't put yourself in the box there.
1: Right, exactly. Um, you know, things happen and change and, and if, if it ever gets to the point that she does have to go to a, a nursing home for whatever reason, you know, I, I will be right there making sure everything is okay but at the same time, I'm hoping that if that ever happens, she's not necessarily going to have as much awareness of it as if, you know, I were just going to go lock her away now while she's right. competent, sort of. So if, if, if you can, you know, number one, word of mouth. So, you know, get with your friends who have been through it and find out where they have taken mom and dad, maybe where they've taken mom or dad out of because it wasn't that good. Do tours of several places. Um, and just remember, just because it's it's gorgeous outside, I mean, there, there have been hotel chains that have um, built assisted livings all over the place, and they're gorgeous. They're just stunning, but it, that doesn't mean the care is good. So really pay attention when you walk through whatever level of care it is. You know, um, look at the other patients that are there, you know. Are they clean you know is is lunch still on their chin and it's free in the afternoon? Pay attention to that, you know does the place smell good um Are the residents lined up you know with their in <laughs> like they're getting ready to just be rolled down the hall in a in a line to the next spot, or are they grouped together maybe where they can at least be seeing each other? you know do they seem content? how does the nursing staff look? Do they look drawn and sullen and like, man, I can't wait for the next hour to be out of here, or are they interacting with, with each other and interacting with the patients um, in, in a positive way? And, and nothing is ever going to be perfect either. I, I would say that. But those are some key things to, to definitely look at when, when you're going through. Um, I would I would say, too, though, that be aware if you if you make your tour and, and it's about an hour after um, a meal, um, bodily functions do happen and it's impossible to have odor-free. So if, if you think, you know, if, if you go around to four units and maybe one unit has a little odor problem, maybe come back at another time and check it out because it just might be, you know, I, I mean, that happens.
0: Well, we're fortunate in one respect, uh, living here in the Sun City, Arizona area, that this is a 55-plus community, and it has been here for 50 years, and still to this day there are a good number of residents that were the original residents uh, to be here uh, that are still here, as is the case with my my mother. Uh, But nonetheless, uh, they have a a, a myriad of uh, in-home care facilities, uh, and 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 businesses they have uh all kinds of um uh of facilities for uh hospice care as as well as uh facilities that take care of the individual from morning to night and overnight uh a home type of an arrangement and when we were looking when my father was ill and we were looking, I was amazed absolutely amazed at what I saw from what I thought was going to be an absolutely wonderful location possibly to have him housed when I walked in and I went, holy Toledo, this place stinks. And I mean stinks. And I would made a couple of visits as you suggest and it didn't make any difference what time of day or night I went there. Wow! And it was, and, and these people, and everybody said, well, this is such a wonderful facility. And I went, I m m i don't know if this is wonderful where else have you looked to make this wonderful because i was very very disappointed very disappointed well, he plus the fact that he needed skilled nursing for his uh, eventual problems but um nonetheless even at the skilled nursing facility that was supposedly so fantastic that everybody swore by this place i found it to be less less than less than wonderful uh he had very thin skin uh we put notification all over no tape only co he adhe- only uh, uh coband for elastic bandage uh they put tape took it off tore his skin he was done uh-huh. He was down to court and had to go in for a transfusion. I just, um, I just that kind of stuff that I mean, I just didn't understand that how that could happen in a place like that that was so wonderful. But it indeed it did. So you really do have to be very, very, very cautious. Very, very cautious. You can't, you can't be, uh, uh, you can't overdo your caution. As far as I'm concerned.
1: Right. And and I, I you know, and I applaud you not going with that first facility. You really, when you're going to those places. Listen to your gut instinct, you know, if, and, and really pay attention to how you're feeling while you're there because that's going to make a difference to that person that you're placing there. And then also, you know, when you come to visit, you need to feel comfortable as well. Exactly. And, and you need to find out what are the staffing ratios, you know, what, um, what is the access to a supervisor if there's a problem? Who is the director of nursing? You know, how are problems handled? when they come up, because, and and nothing is ever going to be perfect. And and I understand that about the, you know, you you put up signs everywhere and still what you didn't want to happen happens.
0: Yes, yes, amazing, absolutely amazing. Well, I, I will say on the other on the other side of the coin, when I went looking, when we were looking for other places, we found a couple of group homes. One in particular, that was uh, this lady had uh, two or three of the group homes. Very modern home, homes in, in in relatively new subdivisions, and they were absolutely immaculate. They were immaculate. Uh, you could eat off the floor I would be willing to eat off the floor
1: uh,
0: it, it was they were so clean and the people were so clean and they were so happy and we got to see people in their rooms and they were always cheerful and always greeted us and uh, f- smell of fresh cookies baking and oh, I saw the meals and it was just absolutely fantastic but unfortunately my father's condition had progressed too far to be in that kind of an arrangement Right and uh but I mean it, they're out there, they're out there and if and if the timing is right, I mean, I think there's a certain amount of timing involved. I mean, at this particular point with this kind of care, you have to find a facility that matches, and then, as you may have to either go to another wing of the facility or uh, increased care uh depending on uh, how the condition progresses, but I think you have to make sure that you're watching out for that as well, don't you?
1: Absolutely. And you know, assisted living facilities now, some of the, the patients that they keep in them are what was typical nursing home ten years ago. It's sort of like the hospitals are kicking people out to the nursing homes faster. So some of the nursing homes are more like hospitals. Um, you do need to so if you're gonna buy into an assisted living facility and they offer different levels of care, I, I would try to find out, well, you know, does mom get to stay in her apartment or her room throughout these levels of care, or what are your policies for moving somebody. Most facilities have a secure unit um, because at at certain points of dementia, wandering becomes a real issue. So one facility I go to, they they wear a bracelet, and if they get too close to the doors, the doors lock. It's lovely because they don't alarm unless they go through. So, you know, they just can't figure out why they can't open the door, but it keeps them within a safe place. Uh-huh. And then they have, you know, we have nursing assistants who walk them through the building and take them outside on pretty days and things like that. So they're not just cloistered, but they're not able to just go off on their own and, and walk down the, you know, the street um, near the facility. So that that's an important thing to find out because if the, the facility, if it's getting to that point, they may need to do that. So just find out how those decisions are made and and who makes them and make sure you're part of them.
0: Another thing I think that is uh is taken for granted. I'm not going to say it's overlooked, but it's taken for granted is diet. Uh I years ago, uh, back in the day, uh I was the um I had a food service company and one of the Things that we did is we had three uh, Alzheimer's daycare centers, dementia daycare centers, that we cooked in and for the uh, for the participants as they were called, and. We had to pay special attention to their diets with regard to how much starch, how much protein, whether or not they were mechanically chopped or whether they were uh, pureed. Uh, But we had to have all that information and be able to serve whatever the requirement was for that particular uh, attendee. And... uh, it was it was very rigid and it was governed by the state. This was in California. It was governed by the state of California, and it was very rigid with regard to. And I had to have records and documentation as to exactly what we bought, when we bought it, how much, what was the percent of fat in the hamburger or the ground beef. Uh, the whole the whole thing had to be very much um, very much monitored and recorded. And when somebody goes into these facilities, and they may have uh, a beautiful lunchroom. But it may be the case that uh, your loved one can't eat everything that's on that menu or everything that's on that buffet. And you need, I think, I would think that you would need to make sure that you have an assurance that they're going to get what they need and what their
1: restrictions are if they have any. Absolutely. And and the federal government overlooks this very, very closely because we don't want people losing weight. That's, that's critical, um, especially in – in the nursing homes, so the nursing homes are required to have a registered dietitian um, who is on site a certain amount of time, depending on the number of beds, the size of the facility, and they, they keep an eye on that. Um, you know, I hear people all the time at the nursing home saying, "You know, the food is terrible, and yet they'll eat everything you put in front of them." so it's, it's never going to be like homemade. Unfortunately. But facilities I do believe really try hard to, to do the best that they can by by their residents. Um, you know, and then there's always at the end of each meal the nursing assistants are required to write down what percentage people eat.
0: That's right. As well. Exactly. When uh, and 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 they have to they have to write that down and then they will give me the report and say uh, this meal, across the board, was only eaten to a smaller percentage than the others. So there might be something that you're doing with this one as an example that just doesn't get it with the majority of people. And but there might be something that everybody else eats with the say, save one or two that won't eat any of it. So I mean, it's, right. it's a real it's from the food service point of view, being as how I was involved in it, it's a real balancing act. It's very right. much a very much a balancing act, and, and
1: and you know the the loss of appetite, especially you know you, they're taking a, a ton of medications. Some of those medications alter taste, especially if they're on an antibiotic. Some of the the antibiotics that are out there will make your mouth taste like metal for a week, um, yes. especially the ones that we use for treating bronchitis and things. But then also you, you reach a point, and you know I don't know if it's biologically genetic or whatever, and especially with, with the Alzheimer's type dementia, appetite just goes away. And they, it used to be called the dwindles, now it's called failure to thrive. But one of the medications that you can use to, to help with that is, is called Remeron. And it's an old antidepressant that's not used in the adult population because it causes increase in appetite, and people gain weight, and so I've and, and the American Geriatric Society recommends it um, for that loss of appetite, that that weight loss that comes at that point. And we've had patients turn around because all of a sudden they're just, you know, ravenously hungry, um, and and it's wonderful because they get this appetite back. And, and sometimes then you have to cut it back because <laughs> because they turn around too much. Um, what
0: was and what is that called?
1: It's called Remeron. R E M E R. Oh, and, and we give the the tiniest dose of 7.5 milligrams, and you give it at bedtime because it makes people sleepy. And it's an antidepressant, so you're kind of hitting three birds with one stone.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, my mother has lost her appetite totally, and she's lost a lot of weight, and I talked to her doctor about it, and the doctor said, Feed her some, uh, give her some of those boost-type shakes.
1: Yeah, and you can use those supplements, but they're not the same as food. And and you, the problem, too, is you can fill up on those supplements and then you're even less hungry. So to to turn the appetite back on, you know, again, if you could get her to take that, like um, it comes in a 15-milligram pill that you can break in half, um, you know, if your doctor would recommend that. I a lot of physicians per, prescribe a medication called Megace, um MEGACE for um weight loss and appetite loss it has a lot of side effects i am not a fan of it i don't use it at all i stop it when my patients come into the nursing home on it it's not as effective um it it is actually only approved for the use um in hiv patients who have lost their appetites um So the thinking from a lot of people's point of view was, well, if it works in them, it will work in this population. But the side effect profile is not worth the use. But a lot of physicians fall on that because they're not familiar with the, the, um, the Remeron. And I've seen phenomenal things happen with that medication.
0: Well, I'm going to have to talk to her physician about Remeron because she does not eat. If I sa- I asked her if she'd like to have a sandwich for lunch. She said, yes. I said, would you like to have a half or a whole? She says, well, start with a half and I'll see if I can eat more. And then when I go back to see how she's done, she's eaten half of the half.
1: Right. And that's,
0: and that's it. And she said, I just don't feel like eating. I went, oh, my God. You know?
1: Yeah. But
0: sometimes she doesn't eat. Sometimes she'll eat ravenously. But
1: right.
0: Raven- ravenously for her is... Uh, still very, 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 very small
1: amounts. Right. Well, and again, it's, you know, making sure, it, it, can you, you know, instead of taking 20 pills at, at 8 o'clock in the morning, can you spread them out through the day if they're once a day medications, which makes yeah. it a little more difficult, but rather than having that whole load of medications at one time. And another thing that really can impact um, uh, appetite with folks is constipation you know, making sure that everything is working well because it's it's hard to keep putting more in if if it's not coming out, so to speak. Yeah, so yeah. that's really she, important.
0: Fortunately, I don't think she has that problem. <laughs> I,
1: think, <laughs> okay.
0: I think everything's still working well. <laughs> okay. Cool. Well, is there is there anything else you think, uh, Colleen, that we should touch on as far as your message is concerned and uh, something that you are uh, particularly fond of? I know we've talked about... Uh, uh, we talked about uh, safe prescribing for the elderly a little bit. Do you want to get into that anymore before we wrap
1: up? Um, I don't think we are going to have time because that's like an hour's talk. Um oh. I, 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 could, I could talk for about six or eight hours about my my little old folks. So I, um, but I, I would think you know you touched a little bit on hospice and what I would say really. You know, if if your mom and dad are still cognizant and if you're a boomer and you have children, talk about your wishes. Yes. That's huge because, you know, if, if you haven't had that talk and, and it's uncomfortable for both sides to bring it up but both sides are thinking about it, you know, who do you want making the decisions? Maybe there's five kids and there's one kid who's sane and realistic and the other four would, you know, have you frozen for the time when the body can be brought back to life or whatever. Then you name that kid to make the decisions and you make sure they all understand and, you know, and and make sure that you've got somebody named that can take care of the finances if you can't do that anymore. Talk about, you know, would you want to have a ventilator would you want to have a feeding tube and most of the time these folks are going to tell you no you know when my time comes I'm ready but the the adult children are not always ready well, and I, I've
0: hmm? I, I'm just going to say it's interesting you mentioned that because we we, we do have uh, that information for my mother and we had it for my father we had it for them together uh it's it's all spelled out it's all in the uh the the trust documents and deeds and the uh medical powers of attorney and so on and so forth It's on file with the hospital that she would go to and uh the d n r the d n r is signed and uh, mm-hmm. so it's all it's all in order and it's uh, even to the point of the um uh, the disposal of the remains uh taken care of prepaid done yeah so when my father died in hospice, they called the mortuary. The mortuary came and got him and took care of all the all the arrangements because they were already paid, paid for, which was right. ab- and, and which absolutely a, a, a wonderful gift to us remaining in the family.
1: Exactly, and you're not you're not within stressed out trying to figure all that out at at the end. So you know that that's it. It is a gift
0: it is and, and the uh and the, uh, the the largest the heaviest decision that I had to make was how many death certificates did I need to buy? How wow, many, how many copies did I want right uh, that, that you know, and you had to go through, okay well, I know this, I know this, this has to be proven, and I had to run through that count real quick and say, Give me ten, you know right, uh, for a buck and a half a piece, give me ten if it's not right, enough, I'll get more. But I mean, the, yeah, the, the, it, it, was, and, it was. And
1: if you if you have life insurance policies and you have bank accounts and things like that, have it all in one place that's easy to find. And if you've got it all in a safe deposit box, make sure that you have somebody who's got the key and and is listed as can get into that. Right. Um, you know, when something happens,
0: you don't need to go through probate to get into a safe deposit. Right. Box. That's, that's right. Not, not something you need to do. Well, Colleen, if there's anything that you want to say with regard to how people can get hold of you or contact you, if they have any other questions or if there's any other goods or services that you provide for people, now's your time for your, uh, your shameless self promotion if you choose to have <laughs> one. So please go ahead and let us know uh, how, how people can get hold of you.
1: Well, great. I am not just a nurse practitioner. I am a professional speaker, and I speak nationally, and I'm actually the immediate past president of the Virginia chapter of the National Speakers Association. I do have a website. It's www.cpkennycpkenny.com. and if you go on there, you can find both my phone number and an email address. There's a contact us, um, and it give you information about my speaking. There's a there's a sample video there. And then I've also got a blog where I've, I I have addressed some of these um issues of, of taking care of the frail elderly. So that's me.
0: Very good. Well, thank you very much, uh, Colleen. It's been a pleasure visiting with you, and I, uh, you passed along some excellent information, some excellent thoughts for people to keep in mind, and uh, hopefully somewhere along the line, whether it be, have been today or if it's in the future when people visit the archives of this show, uh, they find something that can help them, uh, we will have been well served to have done the show.
1: Very good. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. We'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Very good. Take care now. Have a great day. Bye-bye find And that was Ms. Colleen Kennedy, a nurse practitioner and elder care specialist. Uh contact her via her blog or her website, cpkenny dot com. And uh we hope you uh got some good information from our discussion today. Uh we're certainly intending that to be the case. So please uh contact her if you uh if you have any questions or if you can use a good speaker in these particular areas. We enjoyed being here today. We'll be back again tomorrow. We have a golf show at 9 o'clock and our regular Boomer the Babe show at 11, so I hope you can join us at that time. Take care, everyone. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Bye now. Show where we bring interesting conversations to the world. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, where we tweet as Boomer and Babe, and on Facebook as Pete Peters 47. As always, you can friend us on Blog Talk Radio or sign up for our newsletter at BoomerAndTheBabe.com. Email us at host at host@BoomerAndTheBabe.com with any of your comments. Remember, at 50, you're just getting started.